Welcome to the Life Podcast, where we offer real hope to real people dealing with real life. We filter our thoughts through God's thoughts and our ways through God's ways. We pray you're blessed by this podcast. Enjoy the show. It's been a long time coming, but we are back. We are back. I miss you all. I know you're probably thinking what we've been doing, but it's been a lot of changes to the show. Some cast the guns, some cast the back, um, just life changes. But we're excited that we are back. This is the Life Podcast Show. Living intentionally for eternity, people. We try to filter our perspectives through God's perspectives, try to filter our views through God's views, and we try to filter our ways through God's ways. The levitating one, the one whose feet never touches the ground, the creepy crawler himself, the smoothest man in the land. He will not be with us today because he is enjoying sunny Florida. He's down with my uncle in Florida enjoying himself. So keep him up in prayer. Make sure that he is lifted up. Um, so I'll be riding a little solo dolo today, but I am excited. I have a heck of a show for you all today. I'm not going to promise 20 minutes, 30 minutes or 40 minutes, but hopefully we can make it under an hour. I have so much to share with you, brothers and sisters. I am elated. I'm on cloud nine since yesterday. We um, enjoy and were able to. Uh, celebrate the risen king, our savior. The tomb is empty. First Corinthians says that if the resurrection isn't real, Christianity doesn't even make sense. We should be most pitied. We should eat, sleep, or get and get married, right? And be married. Because if the resurrection isn't true, why are we denying ourselves? Why are we taking up crosses? Why are we not living our best life now in YOLO? We should be most pitied because we just walked around this earth not being able to enjoy the earth and all this frivolous, greedy things that it has, right? The lust of flesh, lust of eyes, and the pride of life. If we aren't to love that, um, if there is no resurrection, we should be enjoying those things. But because Christ is risen, everything he said was true. And the greatest act of what he said that was true was that he will lay down his body and in three days, he'll take it back up. He will be resurrected. And because that, his testimony lives that there will be a coming judgment for those who don't believe, but to those who do believe eternal bliss, harmony, fellowship with our God, who will one day wipe our tears from our eyes. That's our blessed hope. And that's what we live for. That's what living intentionally for eternity means people. So I am excited. Um, I do want to ask my subscribers who are the small amount that's out there, but I'm so thankful to, for you all. It makes me continue to do this show. I will ask you if you could just leave a four to five star review on Apple or Spotify. That would be great. Not only just the, the stars, but actually a comment. Like review the show so that more people can be exposed to this if you enjoy this content. 
Um, anything lower than a four really pushes it away. So if, just keep your opinions to yourself if you don't like the show or you just stop listening. Right. But if you think the show is good and it's bringing you quality content, biblical content, if you can leave a four to five star review, that'd be great. It would drive the show for show. So updates to the show. Mr. Eric Talbert, our pastor, the sage, he's taking some time away because he needs to attend to some family matters with his elder with his elderly parents, aging parents, and he's being a good son, um, walking in the way of Christ, taking care of his parents when uh, they need that. So keep him lifted up in his parents. We're going to miss him, enjoy our conversations, his wisdom, but we're going to keep trudging along. Also, um, just some life updates. Uh, I'm on spring break. My goodness, if you're a teacher, you would know. Spring break is tough, but it's good. So much rest. So that's how I'm able to put out this podcast because during the school year, I can't do as much because my time is tied up to excellence, trying to do well with school and being there for my kids. So um, it's just tough to do both, but hopefully we can get back on track and I can produce more this week so we can hold you over. I've not produced one since January 17th, it seems, or maybe February. I don't know. It's been a minute. But we back and I, I have a couple things that I want to share with you. So today we're going to be talking about truth. We're going to be talking about Jesus and the truth, consequences of the truth, what it means to follow the truth and what it means, what are the implications, the direct implications to following after Christ. So with that being said, one of my favorite movies is Bruce Almighty. I think the last time I did a show, I talked about one of my other favorite movies, Longest Yard, but I love Bruce Almighty. A funny show, a funny movie, actually. And in the movie, Jim Carrey sings a, a song entitled, What If God Was One of Us? And the lyrics kind of go, what if God was one of us? Just a stranger on a bus trying to make his way home. And it spoke about God becoming man. And what would that look like? But the writer, that song, the writer, the songwriter didn't really understand all that he was saying on implications that he was talking about. Um, we know through historical Christianity and we hold to the tenet that God did become indeed a man. That's where we get the word Emmanuel spelled with an I, Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. In John, it says that God dwelt amongst men, which means he tabernacled, he stayed, he resided amongst men. And we know about the word incarnation, which means God wrapped himself in human flesh. How beautiful is that notion that God became closer and closer and closer and closer until he wrapped himself in human flesh so that he could provide a way for salvation for his people. That's a beautiful thing. And that's a commitment. That I don't think we can actually understand. But that song just prompted me to think about this podcast. So I, it's a couple of things I want to share with you. And I pray that it may bless your soul. So going forward, um, we have a couple sections of this podcast that I want to deal with. But before we get started, again, we do try to filter our views through God's views. We try to filter our perspectives through God's perspectives. And we try to filter our ways through God's ways. One thing Jesus constantly talked about was that he's going to come and testify to the truth. So as we observe Easter, I really wanted to take the time to really think about what are the implications of Jesus becoming man? What were some reasons Jesus became man? 
right? In Christianity, we have something called the hypostatic union. A hypostatic union is God um, manifests itself in two natures. So Jesus is both the son of God and the son of man. Once Jesus took on flesh, he forever became the son of man. He was always a man, um, but he also is God. He is the God man. And we call that, and theologians have called that the hypostatic union. And uh, really quick, I just want to give you a springboard verse of how we come to that. And that, that's in Colossians chapter one. This is what it says. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, rather thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first, first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, rather things on earth or things in heaven, by peace, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's Colossians 1, 15 through 20. And then Philippians follows this up by saying this, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And we had, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. For this reason, God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that the Jesus is Lord, the glory to the glory of God, the father. That's Philippians 2, 5 uh, through 11. So that's just a springboard for us to really look through the lens of God definitely becoming one of us, not just a stranger on a bus trying to find his way home. God became one of us to come and seek and save the lost and to bring us to our true home, which is in heaven. You know, as part of, as part of an overview, I just want to share with you where we'll be going over the next couple of weeks with our podcast. Um, so we want to talk about why Jesus came. We want to talk about why we celebrate Easter for many who may not even know what's the point. We may have gone to church all our life and we know we put on our Sunday best and we look nice and the, the preacher is extra excited. He's hooping a little bit longer than we usually expect. Um, cousins you've never seen in four years come to church, right? We call those CME members, Christmas, Mother's Day and Easter. But why? What was, this, what was the significance of Jesus coming? So I believe I have three reasons that I want to share, but not all in this podcast. Only one reason today in this podcast, but as an overview, kind of a bird's eye view of where we'll be going, I have three reasons why I think Jesus came. Number one, he came to testify to the truth. John 18, 33 through 38. Number two, to save sinners. Luke 5, 32 through 33. And then number three, to drink God's cup of wrath and extend peace and reconciliation to the nations. That comes from Isaiah 53, 10 through 12. So again, reason number one, to testify to the truth. Reason number two, to save sinners. Reason number three, to drink God's cup of wrath and extend peace and reconciliation 
to the nations. Our life points for today, ladies and gentlemen, comes from 1 Timothy 1.15 and Titus 3, 4 through 7. It says this, first, this saying is true and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 1, 15. And then we have Titus 3, 4 through 6. It says, but when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy. Through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, he poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. So with that being said, let's get into reason number one. Jesus came to testify to the truth. And we'll see that plan out in John chapter 18, verses 33 through 38. Again, reason number one is Christ came to testify to the truth. Listen to what he says in John chapter 18, 33 through 38. Then Pilate went into the headquarters, summoned Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, are you asking this on your own? Or have others told you about me? I'm not a Jew, am I? Pilate replied. Your own nation and the chief priest handed you over to me. What have you done? My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. You are a king then, Pilate asked. You say that I'm a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this. And I've come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. What is truth? said Pilate. This text above all else gives us true insight into Christ's mission on earth. Although we celebrate his birth on Christmas, the true reason we, re we rejoice is because of Easter. Christ coming as a baby is an amazing truth that perplexes us, but it does not save us. But Christ dying as a man, that saves us. By his stripes, we are healed and forgiveness of sin is made available to all who believe. Jesus himself said, I was born for this. I came into the world for this to testify to the truth. Jesus, throughout his ministry, spoke about truth more than anyone else. He said things like, I am the way, the truth and the life. And he says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He also said, that he will send the spirit of truth, i.e. the Holy Spirit, to lead and to guide his people into all truth. Jesus, Jesus was consumed by God's truth being proclaimed to the furthest and remotest part of the world. His stunning statement that people will know the truth and the truth will set them free. And who the son sets free is free indeed of his commitment to the truth. Lies, deception deceitfulness and pride keep people bound to darkness and slavery but truth righteousness holiness and justice leads people to freedom peace joy and fellowship with god first john said this about those who live for the truth what we have seen and heard we also declare to you so that you may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the father and with the son jesus christ that's first john 1 3 
Listen to what Acts says about how Jesus accomplishes this. Peter began to speak. Now, I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is susceptible to him. He sent the message to the Israelites proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know, the events that took place all around Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that Jesus preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good, good, doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. That's Acts 10, 34 through 38. Listen, the truth of the matter is that Jesus' freedom is from the tyranny of the devil, Satan. Tyranny can be defined as cruel, unreasonable, or arbitrary use of power or control. That's from Webster's, by the way. The prince of the air, Satan, rules over his people. His rule over the people is oppressive, is cruel, and is crippling. You got to think, he, demonic, the people that was demonic, how people he would throw, the demons would throw kids to the ground and have them vomit. How it had a woman bent over for years. How a woman had a woman bleeding for years. Like all this, all this oppression that was taking place in Jesus' day. That's the oppression of the devil. In your own life, when you see things just out of bed in the crippling situation in your life, you can't get out of certain things. You got a question. You got a question, brothers and sisters, who ruling my life? Who's ruling my life? So the prince of the air, Satan, rule over people is oppressive, cruel, and crippling. Jesus talks about that is the actual freedom he came to give his people from that oppressive, crippling and uh, cruel rule that Satan has put the whole world under um, that Adam submitted and subjugated the whole world through, through his sin of disobedience. So with that being said, Jesus's freedom exposes the devil's lies and cunning schemes, and it sets a host of captives free. But there's a dichotomy to that. Um, and it's, it's although Testifying to the truth is Jesus's purpose and mission. Living in lies, deception, and deceit is humanity's mission. To rule God's creation without the creator and to serve and worship the things of the earth rather than the creator of the things of the earth is humanity's greatest dilemma. They are bound to it. They love it, enjoy it, are comfortable in it. And if not for an act of divine intervention, are hopelessly lost in the rat race of the perilous curse of sin. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to this. History has proven time and time again that humanity will reject the creator for the love of their sin. Again, history has proven time and time again that humanity will reject the creator for their love of sin. Do not take my word for it. Don't take my word for it. Let's look to the word to discover that truth. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter one, we get these words in John chapter one. This is what we have. He was in the world and the world was created through him. And yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. It's John 1, 10 through 11. As Jesus came into the world to testify to the truth, sinful humanity resides in the whole world to hinder God's truth and follow many schemes. Jesus's burning passion throughout his life was for God's name to be kept holy, for God to be trusted above all else, 
for God's righteousness to burn like the morning sun and for God's name to be valued among Israel and the Gentiles. Ultimately, Jesus wanted men to love the Lord their God with all their mind, soul, strength, and heart and to love their neighbor as themselves. Listen, Christ came to restore the truth about God and man into the world. And for that reason, humanity hated him and chose to reject him. Before Pontius Pilate, the very people who celebrated him and praised him, shouting Hosanna, Hosanna to the highest praise, cried out days later, crucify, crucify him. Moreover, Jesus testifying to the truth was not just an ethereal or pithy testimony. It was, as he put it, truly, truly true. Jesus knows the truth about man. And for the sake of time, we can define truth as God's original intent or purpose for what he created. Again, truth can be defined as God's original intent or purpose for what he created. Listen to some of the examples the Bible says about how God created man. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth and the creatures that crawl on the ground. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. Jesus, that needs to be established anymore in this in our present day of time in these yet to be United States. That is true. He created them, male and female. Listen to this. Everyone who bears my name and is created for my glory, I have formed them. Indeed, I have made them. That's Isaiah 43, 7. Listen to this. What is a human being that you remember him, a son of man that you look after him? You made him a little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all the sheep and oxen, as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the sea. That's Psalms 8, 4 through 8. Listen to this, for he knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He blooms like a flower of the field. When the wind passes over it, it vanishes and it places no long, its place no longer is no longer known. That's Psalms 103. Mankind, he told each of you what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. That's Micah 6, 8. Now, here we go to kind of the bad things about humanity, right? Listen to these passages. Let's listen to the truth about humanity. Ecclesiastes 7.29 says this, Only see this, I've discovered that God made people upright, but they pursue many schemes. Let's see what Jesus says about humanity. While he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many people believed in his name. And when they saw the signs he was doing, Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all. And because he did not need anyone to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in man. That's in John 2, 23 through 25. Genesis. Here we go. This is the truth about man, what God, what Christ knew. When the Lord saw the human wickedness, when the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and he was deeply grieved. Then the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I've created off the face of the earth together with the animal creatures that crawl and birds of the sky. For I regret I made them. Look what sin does to a people. In the beginning, Genesis 1, you see this glorious creation of mankind. 
right? The prized possession of all of God's creation. And then you see in Ecclesiastes, which I think sums it up well, only see this. I've discovered that God made people upright, morally right, clean, pure, um, um, a delegated holiness to them, devotion only to God and God alone. But what happened? They pursued many schemes. Their sin set the course for the rest of their life to lead to wickedness. If history has proven anything, brothers and sisters, it has proven that mankind is fickle, weak, sinful, wicked, hopeless, hopelessly willing, unwilling to turn from evil to good. But the Bible testifies that God in his great love has not abandoned them, but has shown benevolent, steadfast love to them and continues to shine his face upon them. But this is with a purpose and with a goal. The Bible states this about God's grace and his attention. Do you think any of you who judges those who do such things yet do the same, that you escape God's judgment? Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Because of your hardened and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath. When God's righteous judgment is revealed, he will repay each one according to his works, eternal life to those who have been, who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, but wrath and anger to those who are self-seeking and disobey the truth while obeying unrighteousness. Also, but when the kindness of God, our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not by the works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy. Through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, he poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. That's Titus 3, 4 through 7. The first one I read was Romans 2, 3 through 8. Our God is worthy to be praised. God's ultimate expression of love is known in the appearance of God's only son, Christ. Obviously, you all know the famous passage, John 3.16. John 3, it states this, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. <clears throat> Love is an act of sacrifice voluntary, voluntarily with the intention to set your affection on someone, no matter the cause. Listen to that again. Love is an act of sacrifice voluntarily with the intention to set your affection on someone, no matter the cause. Love is best seen in a covenant in which two people enter relationship for life, committed to the goodwill and prosperity of the other member with the aim to pour affection, grace, benevolence and loving kindness on them for all the days more. We see this covenantal love within marriages in which we love for rich or for poor, sickness or unhealth, for better or for worse. Those vows express a steadfast commitment to each other, no matter the situation or circumstances. Now, for a good person or someone we deem worthy, we would love like that. But God's love is magnified to the nth degree. His love is showered on those who esteem him not who reject him and who would choose every other thing over him if they had a choice. Jesus reminded his disciples, you did not choose me. I chose you. God shows his mighty love this way, but God proves his own love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have been justified by his blood, will be saved through him from wrath. 
For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more having been reconciled will we be saved by his life? That's Romans 5, 8 through 10. The Bible not only shows our perilous situation by saying we were God's enemy, but it also says we were dead in our sins and unable to respond or obey God. Romans 8, Romans 8 says this. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on the things of the spirit. Now, the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's Romans 5, 8, 5 through 8. Brothers and sisters, we need to see that the manifestation of God's love is shown through grace and mercy. Grace is God giving you what you do not deserve. Mercy is God not giving you what you do deserve. Listen very carefully. In kindness, grace met your case. In mercy, Christ has set you free. One of the most moving descriptions of God's character or attitude towards humanity is given in Exodus 34, 6 through 8. Listen to this. Moses states, the Lord came down in a cloud, stood with him there and proclaimed his name, the Lord. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed the Lord. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. It's a compassionate, and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. Maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. These verses were repeated many times by the prophets in the Old Testament as the bedrock of their faith. They hearken back to that truth of God's character in a time of trouble, affliction, judgment, and hardship. This should be our appeal as well. And we see this similarity of God's kindness and compassion to sinners presently. One commentator, one commentator noted this about that passage. He said, the Lord descended by some open token of his presence and manifestation of his glory in the cloud and thence proclaimed his name. That is the perfections in character, which are denoted by the name Jehovah. The Lord God is merciful, ready to forgive the sinner and to relieve the needy gracious, kind, and ready to bestow undeserved benefits, long-suffering, slow to anger, giving time for repentance, only punishing when it is needful. He is abundant in goodness and truth. Even sinners receive the riches of his bounty abundantly. Though they abuse them, all he reveals is infallible truth. All he promises is in faithfulness. Keeping mercy for thousands, he continually shows mercy to sinners and has treasures, which cannot be exhausted to the end of time. Forgiven iniquity and transgressions and sin, his mercy and goodness reach to the full and free forgiveness of sin and will by no means clear the guilty. The holiness and justice of God are part of his goodness and love towards all his creatures. In Christ's suffering, the divine holiness and justice are fully shown and the evil of sin is made known. God's forgiving mercy is always attended by converting, sanctifying grace. None are pardoned but those who repent and forsake the allowed practice of every sin, nor shall any escape who abuse, neglect, or despise this great salvation. Moses bowed down and worshiped reverently. 
every perfection in the name of God, the believer may plead with him for the forgiveness of his sin, the making holy of his heart and the enlargement of the Redeemer's kingdom. Listen to what Ephesians 2 says. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in this, the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclination of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of the grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift, is a gift of God, not from works, so that no one can boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which prepared, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. That's Ephesians two one through ten. Y'all ever been reading sometimes, and you so used to quoting the scripture in a certain translation, <laughs> and then you you but you 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 write it down in a different translation, so it's messing your brain up. That's what just happened. I was used to saying it a certain way because I remember it a certain way, but this translation was a little bit different. I'm using the CSB. Usually, I use the NLT, but that's just a side note. But isn't what great kind and kindness the Lord saved you? That's God's disposition towards humanity, kindness and compassion and love. But he will by no means acquit, acquit the guilty because God is holy and just. And it's good for a good God to punish iniquity. If someone, if your loved one was killed or murdered, you wouldn't want a judge to say, I just love him so much. I'm just going to let him go free. No, you want justice. As Abraham says, should should the judge of the whole world not do right? No, God will judge rightly, but his general disposition is to save sinners. And we'll get into that later. Listen to this. The grace of God has appeared to the world and it is in the face and life of Jesus Christ. What the world needs now, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. That ain't true. It does need love. But like this, what the world needs now more than anything is a testimony to the truth. Jesus, the paragon of truth, is that testimony, and this is what the Bible testifies about him. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, this was the one of whom I said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen the Father. The one and only Son, who is himself God, is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. That's John 1, 14 through 18. Plato once said this, ladies and gentlemen. The Greek philosopher Plato, he said this, no one is hated more than he who speaks the truth. I'll say that one more time. I kind of butchered that. Plato once said, no one is hated more than he who speaks the truth. If this is not true of our Savior, I have no idea what else is. 
Our Savior came to testify to the truth, to live the truth, to suffer for the truth, and to die for the truth. Jesus said things like, woman, where's your husband? And she says, I don't have a husband. He said, yeah, you're right. You already, you already had three husbands, and the one you're with now isn't your husband. He, told, he called her out on her sin. Jesus told people, you are of the, your father, the devil. He told his friend, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're only doing what will bring you pleasure. He told people, if God was your father, you'll love me. But as it is, we know that the devil's your father because the father sent his son and you still reject him, just like the devil did. No one in the Bible talked more about hell than Jesus Christ. That's testifying to the truth, not just the woman, woman fuzzies, the cuddles, but also about the truth and reality of life and death, heaven and hell, eternity and and, and bliss or eternity and torment where there'll be gnashing and weeping, gnashing of teeth and weeping. That's real love. It takes real love to say those things to people that you love, but you do it because you're testifying to the truth. And that same truth will set you free. Likewise, he commits these words to his followers. That's what Christ said up to his followers about testifying to the truth. He said, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world will love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But they will do all these things to you on account of my name, because they don't know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now they have no excuse for their sin. The one who hates me also hates my father. If I had not done the works among them that no one else had done, they would not be guilty of sin. Now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But this happened so that the statement written in their law might be fulfilled. They hated me for no reason. Remember what Plato said, no one is more hated. or no one is hated more than he who spoke or he who speaks. Truth. The hatred that people have for our Savior is the same hatred and fierce persecution we will have from the people of the world. We are not we are not greater than our master. If they hated him, they will hate us. We do not get pillows when we become fathers of Christ. We get crosses. We do not get applause. We get humiliated and shame. We do not seek the glory of man. We seek the glory of God and the praise of our Christ. We seek not to hold on to our lives and gain the world, but rather we seek to lose our lives in the name of Christ and for the glory of his name. We do not live for, we do not live for the here and now, but we live intentionally for eternity. One man said, Aim for heaven and you may get a little bit of the earth. But if you aim for the earth, you run the risk of inheriting the earth. You, you run the risk of not inheriting the earth and heaven. So what's some personal application for what we're talking about? First point is this. Be, part, be people of the truth. If you're a follower of Christ, you are the follower. You are a follower of the truth. Ephesians 4, 17 to 24 says this. Therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more 
and more. But that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity. The more you learn about Christ, the more you are called to live your life like him. In the truth, we are to remain in Christ and abide in Christ. If we are to, if we are living out the truth, our walk will look like Christ's walk. Listen to God's word. It says, but whoever keeps his word, truly in him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as Jesus did. First John 2, 5 through 6. <clears throat> Number two, walk in the truth with the body of Christ. Listen, listen, Christ has given us the church, his body and bride as the facilitation and application of truth. You got to go to church, bro. You cannot do online services the rest of your life. You need to be around actual flesh and blood people, even though they drive you nuts and drive you crazy and they don't think the way you think. You need to be a part of the local church out of love and reverence for Christ. Christ died for the church. He lives interceding on our behalf for the church. He died for a bride and a body. And who, how dare you say you don't need it? How dare you say that? Blasphemy. You do need it. Christ wanted to die for something you didn't need, like salvation, <laughs> like forgiveness of your sin. He also died for his body, the bride, the church. Remember, the church is the facilitation application of truth. Listen to what First Timothy says. It says, but if I should be delayed, I have written so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. Another word for that is ball work. It's like a, a foreign foundation. And that's First Timothy 3.15. Listen to what Ephesians 4 says. The one who ascended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he himself gave some to the apostles, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's son, grown into maturity with the stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be like little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. Remember, that's humanity, deceit, cunning, cleverness. We'll keep going. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. You need the church, ladies and gentlemen, brothers, my gentlemen out there, you have to go to church, gentlemen, brothers, you have to go. Even though the songs may be boring, it may be a little bit hyper feminine and it's a lot of songs that doesn't really speak to your manliness and masculinity. Go to a church and change it. <laughs> go to church and speak out against it and change it. Let God use you as an instrument of his change, right? To go in there and be a strong man with convictions, trying to hold fast to sound doctrine, go in there and change it. If you can't change it, pray for it. Pray for your pastor. Be that person that God used to change the boat around. 
you have to get locked into a local church. Being part of a local church that sings, prays, preaches, and teaches God's word is essential for remaining in Christ and in the truth. Again, being a part of a local church that sings, prays, preaches, and teaches God's word is essential for remaining in Christ and in the truth. We are not called to be lone wolf Christians. Rather, we are called to be a part of a family, God's family. The problem is that we do not always like our family. But let these words encourage you from Philippians 2. If then there's any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourself. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. That's what the church is supposed to look like. Not supposed to be selfish and hypocritical and all that stuff. And we are, let's go back to God's word and say, what is our goal? What is our purpose as a church? Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. As we adopt the mind of Christ in truth, we can start living out the truth with boldness, meekness, and gentleness. Remember, we are to speak the truth, but in love, right? One man says, three people will tell you the truth. The doctor, the drunk man, and the child. <laughs> but they may not always do that in love. They just do it because that's their nature. They just tell you, man, you fat. <laughs> man, your breath stink. They just tell you. They don't have no filter. And it's the truth. It hurts, but we should do it in love. We should do it with gentleness and kindness. And number three, um, is expect persecution and suffering when you speak the truth, but don't repay evil for evil. Our last personal application is expect persecution and suffering when you speak the truth, but don't repay evil for evil. I can't express that enough. Do not repay evil for evil. As hard as that is, I was watching The Passion last night with my wife. And uh, that's an incredible movie. And, and that might be a violation of the second commandment. I get that. <laughs> no, no graven images, but it just was a powerful movie. I still think it grosses like one of the highest movies ever. Um, and you just see Jesus being whipped and he just is blessing these people and father forgive them for they know not what they do as he's been mistreated. And I think that was just a good depiction of what that really looks like. Anyway, remember Jesus' words in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is in your reward is great in heaven for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Remember, we are not greater than our master. We will suffer for his name, but as important as that is, it is even more important to remember how we should suffer. First Peter 4, 12 through 17 says this about suffering. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual happened to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the suffering of Christ so that you may also rejoice with the great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, <clears throat> You are all you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. 
Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? You must remember that the Christian name was a slanderous name at first. Oh, you're a little Christ, that man that we crucified on that cross, that man that died in weakness. That's who you follow, really? Then we take it as a glory. Yes, it is our glory to suffer like our master, like Peter did. I don't even want to be crucified the way he was. Crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy. That's a beautiful statement of how we should suffer. I'm not even worthy to suffer for you, but I do it gladly. I do it gladly. Listen to this. In Romans 12, 12 through 19, I believe we have a paragon of how we should live out the truth while being persecuted or slandered for your faith. Listen, listen to what it says. Beautiful statement. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it's written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so, you'll be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Conquer evil with good. Reminds me of Peter. Jesus was being arrested, took out his knife, cut off the ear. Jesus says, "Mm -mm, don't repay evil with evil. He says, those who live by the sword die by the sword. You can't stop what's coming. Even in your vengeance, you're trying to stop it from coming and you think you're doing it in the service of Christ will not stop God's sovereign rule. Submit to it. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. And that's a strong temptation because humanity loves bloodshed. We love vigilante justice, but that should not be so with the body of Christ. The exhortations help. This exhortation helps us in times of trouble. It reminds us that God is faithful and in time will defend our cause. It reminds us that in due time, he will repay good for good and evil for evil. He is what he will bring vengeance and he will do and he will do it. He caused us to love our enemies and pray for them, even when they shoot up a Christian school and take the lives of six precious souls in a rage of anger. Even when our government advocates and gives license to the slaughter of millions of babies, even when our nation calls evil good and good evil. By stating that parents have no rights over their children, wanting to change their God-given gender. We are called to pray for those who claim Christ, but walk in darkness. We are called to do good to those who shame us, make our lives miserable, and slander our names. When we lose jobs, friends, relationships, statuses, honor, glory, and good reputation, we claim the same words of our brother David when in distress proclaimed, I have been young and now I'm old. Yet I've not seen the righteous abandoned or his children begging for bread. The word gives us hope for endurance, for it is written, 
For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the scriptures. That's Romans 15, 4. As we suffer, let us, as 1 Peter says, so then let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. As we close, let us walk in the truth, testify to the truth, and love the truth as our Savior did. Let us walk in lockstep with him by his spirit. Let us be the type of followers who are described in these passages. How happy is the one who does not walk in the vice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, prosperous. Psalms 1, 1 through 3. Listen to this. My hand made all these things, and so, and so they all came into being. This is the Lord's declaration. I will look favorably on this kind of person. Listen very carefully, brothers and sisters. One who is humble, submissive in spirit, and trembles at my word. That's Isaiah 66, 2. Let's be a Psalms 1 and an Isaiah 66 tour. <laughs> We will suffer, ladies and gentlemen, but let's suffer for the truth. Let's suffer what's right. Let's suffer with our church. Let's live out the truth of our church and expect to um, be persecuted for what we live out. Remember what Plato said, no one is more hated than he who speaks the most truth. And we're to follow in our, in our Savior's footstep. He said, if the world hates you, it's because it hated me first. But again, we have eternal hope to look forward to. That's why we live intentionally for eternity, people. The Life Podcast, where we filter our thoughts through God's thoughts. We filter our perspectives through God's perspectives. And we filter our ways through God's ways. The smoothest man to ever walk the land will join us next week, where we'll be talking about why Christ came. He came to save sinners. Please stay tuned. Please, again, like the show, four to five star review. Please, uh, that will really help the show. I'd love to hear what you all have to say so I can be better in my craft, um, to be criticized even, so that I can learn how to do this better and put out more content that brings glory to God and is for your good. Again, this is the Life Podcast. Please enjoy your Easter Monday. Peace.